Good morning, people in the room. Good morning, people at home. It's uh, just a joy to be with you. Um, yeah, as Matt said earlier, I was down the road for a number of years uh, at Stokes and Gregory, but I've always known um, about Creech since we came to the West Country 40-something years ago now, and I've heard wonderful things and been privileged to come and worship with you on a few occasions, so it's just a delight uh, to be here with you again this morning. just want to begin by sharing a poem with you. It's not one I wrote poem slash reflection on that passage that Sally read for us. Good news if you are poor. Freedom if you are a prisoner. Recovery of sight if you are blind. Release if you are oppressed. But is it good news if I'm rich? Or even just fairly comfortably off? How might freedom for prisoners affect me? Could I live alongside them? I may not be physically blind, but what blinkers do I wear? Do I want to take them off? I don't go around oppressing people, but perhaps I'm part of a system that oppresses others. Does good news for them become bad news for us? Maybe it means I have to look at myself differently. Reassess my position and role in the world. Be willing to change and be changed. Give God greater freedom in my life. Stop playing with words and face up to their meaning and power. God's words to me today. If I'm honest with you, and I always seek to be honest in my dealings with people and in my preaching... I would have to say that I find that scripture reading this morning one of the most awesome in the whole Bible. It maybe hasn't got the majestic quality of the beginning of John's Gospel or the poetry of some of the Psalms, but in terms of power to touch lives and economy of words, it's right up there, I think. And it's so easy sometimes to to, uh, think that scripture applies to someone else, to believe that God is wanting to speak to someone else through a particular set of words. To be able to nod along and say, oh, that's beautiful, and then close the book and move on. But as uh, the poet who wrote that reflection with which I began says, it affects all of us, it affects me. And this is one of the passages of scripture that picks me up by the scruff of my neck and shakes me. Where God looks me firmly in the eyes and says, a bit like the lottery finger used to do a number of years ago, it's you. It's you. You can't dodge this. You can't believe that it's for someone else. You can't ignore it. You need to hear it. You need to share this. When people have asked me about significant Bible verses, usually when I'm applying for a job, these verses from Luke's Gospel would definitely be right up there. I think potentially maybe higher up the list would be John 10.10, where Jesus says, I've come in order that you might have life, life in all its fullness. For me, it's hugely significant that Jesus doesn't just offer us life here and now, or life in eternity, but life in capital letters, louder even than Matt, or some of your brothers and sisters in Taunton. 
Life in all its fullness. Technicolour, bells and whistles, fanfares, flashing lights, whatever it is that is so amazing. Life, that's the life that Jesus offers us. Life in all its fullness. Life that contains everything that it means to be fully human and alive, just as Jesus was. And of course that life, capital letters life, includes the ups and downs, the joys and the sorrows. The full panoramic range of things we can experience as human beings. And I think that here in this passage, Jesus explores something of how that happens. People discover fullness of life through those things that Jesus reflects on here. Good news to the poor. Freedom to the captives. Recovery of sight to the blind. Freedom for the oppressed. And declaring that God's kingdom is here and now and open for those who will come in. God's kingdom is never closed. It doesn't have opening hours. You know sometimes when you look at something uh, on a website and it says closed now. God's kingdom never says that. It's never closed. It's always open, always ongoing, always present for those who will come into it. Recovery of sight, freedom, good news. These are the things that lead to fullness of life. These are the things that lead to health, wholeness and fullness of life. I've been a Baptist minister for over 20 years now. You may say, Barbara, you don't look old enough. How have you possibly managed that? (laughs) You may not. (laughs) It is possible. (laughs) And I've been involved in church leadership for about 20 before that. Again, how's that possible? But I've kept coming back to this passage, both as a preacher and as a pastor. God challenges me with this again and again, and God invites me to challenge others with it too until the time comes when we've really got the message. It's a passage that makes me profoundly uncomfortable, yet that also gives me huge amounts of hope, for this is good news. And maybe that's something about the good news that Jesus brings, that word that comes to comfort and disturb. I often think that Jesus was probably quite an uncomfortable person to be around some of the time that uh, he could ask you the awkward questions. I don't know if you've ever had anybody in your life who has been able to ask you the question that you've least wanted to ask. I've encountered a few people who have known me really well who have been able to ask me those questions and I've seen it coming and thought, oh my goodness, they know and they will know if the answer I give them is the sort of the fluffy answer, the kind of the, you know, trite answer. They see into your soul. I think Jesus was one of those people with people. He, he saw them. He knew them. He loved them. But he also knew that he had to make them uncomfortable for them to grow. And sometimes I think God still, um, he definitely does it with me, prods me and says, I need you to feel a bit uncomfortable as you hear this word, Barbara. God Jesus, who comes to comfort and to disturb. And I believe that this passage of scripture is good news for us, uh, though maybe not in the way we might expect. Good news for the people of Creech St. Michael, of Ham, of Ruishton, uh, East Ling, West Moncton, Taunton, wherever else you come from. Good news for the whole of Somerset, for the whole of Devon, for the whole of Great Britain, for the whole world. This is good news. It's good news for the places we live and work and those where we don't. Good news for the people of Russia and Ukraine and Libya and Syria. 
good news for people around the world. It's good news for the whole world. And God shares it with us and through us today. Luke's the only one of the Gospel writers who records this incident in Jesus' life in this way. It is a pretty dramatic event, Jesus' first sermon in his home church. And I can tell you that's an interesting experience, standing up and preaching uh, with the people who have seen you grow up and who know what a naughty little person you might have been at one time in your life. Um, And I suspect that there were people in the synagogue in Nazareth that day who knew about Jesus, maybe, I don't know, maybe pulling somebody's hair or slamming the door if they had doors. They knew the things that he'd been up to when he was a boy, when he was a teenager, those teenage strops maybe, I don't know. People knew him. I also imagine it was probably one of the shortest sermons that they'd ever heard in the Nazareth synagogue. Uh, It does say Jesus began with, today this scripture has been fulfilled, so he probably did go on and say some other things. But if he didn't, and I don't think, you know, he might not have done, that's probably the shortest sermon they'd ever heard. Sorry, this one isn't that short. Luke's included this story in this place in his gospel for a reason. Those who told him the story remembered it as important. And as time and time went on, they reflected on Jesus' life and ministry and recognised that there is something mega important that he's saying here. This incident has been referred to by some as the Nazareth Manifesto. Uh, with all the talk in the political arena in Britain at the moment about Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer uh, beginning to line up their manifestos, the idea of Jesus producing a manifesto may not be one that we would usually associate with him. Our day-to-day understanding of the word manifesto has more to do with political parties at election time, making promises we hope that they will keep, but suspect that they won't. Politicians are particularly good at manipulating words in an effort to make themselves look good and electable. Surely we don't associate Jesus with the world of politics. Or maybe not in the party political sense that we understand it today, but certainly Jesus' life and ministry had a political dimension. Life for Jesus wasn't compartmentalised. He was a Jew, and one of the things that I think we need to learn, or have learned, beginning to learn, from our brothers and sisters in the world of Judaism, is that life is not separate. Your life and religion are the same thing. So for Jesus, his life and his work weren't characterised by secular and holy, political and non-political. His whole life was lived with integrity and justice and as such constantly led him into conflict with religious and political authority. But taking a look at this word manifesto may help us as we seek to understand what Jesus is saying. One of the dictionary definitions of it is a public declaration of principles policies or intentions, especially of a political nature. And it's based on the Latin word from which we get manifest, which means clear or evident. So if then we look at this as Jesus making clear or evident both who he himself is and his intentions regarding his ministry, things begin to make sense. Here in Nazareth, in what must have been the most difficult place to speak out, Jesus declares himself. Jesus shows himself to be the anointed one of God, the Christ, 
the Messiah. He lays his cards very much on the table as he reads those words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me too. He's very intent on establishing his credentials. He's not just a teacher, another rabbi from Nazareth. He's God's anointed one. Throughout the history of the Israelites, their priests and kings have been anointed as a sign of being set apart by and for God's service. And all of this was in preparation for the coming of God's king, God's anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus knew this and his hearers would have known this too. So they knew that in reading those words and claiming them for himself, that he was declaring more than that he was simply a priest or a king, but that he was claiming that he was the anointed one of God, the Messiah. The anointing that he has received is not of oil as in the priesting or coronation rites, but the anointing of the Holy Spirit which he received at his baptism. And the Spirit of the Lord being upon him wasn't some gentle dove resting on his shoulders, watching over his every move, uh, rather like Jiminy Cricket does in Pinocchio. It was rather an urgent compulsion to be a spirit-led, spirit-filled person. It was that spirit that drove him out into the desert, as the Greek word earlier in Luke 4 says, that anointing of the Holy Spirit he received at his baptism wasn't some gentle blessing, but the mighty wind of the Spirit filling him and drawing him and driving him on. And that's where we begin to come in, of course. We too are people who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So whatever Jesus says about himself and his ministry in this passage, we also need to see it applying to us. That same Spirit that seeks to compel us, not against our will, and make us do things that we don't want to, God never does that. But it's about the Spirit overtaking us and aligning our will with God's so that we want to speak and think and act for him and we have the power to do so as well. I think that's one of the awesome things that I really love about God is that he asks us to do things. He does ask us to step out of our comfort zone sometimes. Um, Some of you will know how much out of my comfort zone standing here like this has been and is still for me. But the thing is with God, he asks us to do it and he says, but it's okay, you're not going to do it on your own. I'm there with you, I'm equipping you, I'm giving you the thing you need to be able to do it. And I sometimes think that he, he does it that way so that we have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to rely on him because we can't do it on our own. So whether we recognise or accept the gift of the Holy Spirit or not, The Spirit has been at work in our lives before this, as it was in the life of Jesus, even before this moment. Luke's been at pains from the very beginning of his Gospel to talk about how the Holy Spirit has been in action. It's sometimes suggested that Luke's Gospel is the Gospel of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah is told that John, who was to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, will be filled with the Holy Spirit before his birth. He sings that amazing song. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. From his very birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah's great song of praise at John's naming is prompted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary is told that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will make it possible for her to bear God's Son. On through the birth to the presentation of Jesus in the temple, Luke tells Simeon, 
And Luke tells us that he was full of the Holy Spirit and moved by that spirit, he went into the temple courts and encountered Mary and Joseph and Jesus, the one he'd been looking for for his whole life. And then when Jesus is baptised, the spirit descends and Jesus hears those words, you are my beloved son. The moment of baptism then is a defining moment when Jesus finally recognises for himself who he is and what he is to become. Maybe some of us can reflect on our own baptisms as such a defining moment, or maybe we haven't yet taken that step of faith, and it's the defining moment that God is calling you to, maybe even today. The fullness of the Spirit then forces Jesus out to face the rigours of testing in the desert. And he was faced with no uncertainty about who he was when he met the devil in that place. And it's therefore that assurance born of all that he has faced and known that enabled him to stand up and read this passage and to know the truth of its message. So what is this message? To bring good news to the poor. Not only to the poor, however. There has been a danger amongst some liberation theologians in particular to take this statement to its extreme and declare that God is only a God of the poor. Partly because of the word that Luke uses here as he does in his version of the Beatitudes, because it's a word that literally means poor. But I would want to say that we know that God is for us, and we are certainly not, on the whole, literally poor, particularly not in comparison to people in other parts of the world. We may be spiritually poor. Our understanding of and our commitment to God is indeed poor when we consider what it might be in response to his understanding of and commitment to us. But Jesus comes to us and offers us the good news of his love and forgiveness. I think we need to hear that and to share that with people around us. I think we need to remember that the poor of Jesus' day were those who lived and worked in an oppressive system where a small minority wielded both economic and political power. And so this was indeed good news for them. And unfortunately, the reality is that that situation hasn't changed that much. We still live, the world still lives, in oppressive systems where a small minority wield the economic and political power and others are kept captive because of it. There are those within our own country, within our own villages, within our towns and neighbourhoods who would fall into this category. We need to share this good news with them and not simply at a spiritual level. What good is it to tell someone that Jesus loves them if they can't feed their family this week or this month? We need to look seriously at those places where there is injustice, where the poor are kept poor, and we need to seek to do something about it, to seek to do something to redress the balance. In the work that I was doing when I was working on the wards in Exeter and North Devon, I began not with the hub, but I began working on the wards. I encountered people who were in the place they were in, partly because of some degree of financial poverty. And one of the biggest challenges they were facing, as people worked to help them to get well, was what their life would look like when they were discharged from hospital. Helping them to find a suitable place to live and something meaningful and rewarding to do with their lives. Many of them were staying in hospital longer than they needed to because there wasn't the availability of places for people to live. 
I find that verse uh, in that poem that I read at the beginning about the prisoners being released. Would I be prepared to live next door to them? That's one of the challenges. And uh, there have been people that I've seen come time and time again back into hospital because they've gone out, their lifestyle has conflicted with the people around them. They've then got into trouble again and they've then been brought back to hospital for another few months. We need to do something. We need to do something. I don't know what. I haven't got an answer. If I had, I'd be making millions somewhere, I expect, um, which I don't want to, but, you know, uh, I'd be having the answer. But I, Jesus is the answer. Of course Jesus is the answer. But we also need to work out some of the practical implications of what life would look like if we proclaim this good news. Physical poverty and spiritual poverty are real destroyers of health, wholeness and fullness of life. Jesus says he's come to proclaim release to the captives. I loved that picture that was shared with us this morning. It fitted so perfectly. I don't know if you knew what we were reading together this morning. fitted so perfectly with that image of somebody with tied hands and the untied hands of Jesus setting them free. There were many people who were held captive in Jesus' day. The captivity of poverty, that many, many were in debt and slavery from which there was no means or hope of escape. Similarly today, many are in captivity. Still, the captivity of debt and slavery is a reality. And there are also those who are held captive by wealth and power and belief and trust in their own abilities. It's true, too, that Jesus' words bring release to those held physically captive, uh, those of you who are my kind of age will remember the story of Terry Waite and where he was held hostage. And that one of the things I remember hearing him speak, saying about one of the things that, that just reminded him of God's presence with him was that somebody, he doesn't know how, managed to get a postcard to him um, of the John Bunyan window. And that just brought him immense hope, the story of Pilgrim's Progress and that journey that he made. Many of the people I worked with on the wards and indeed many of the NHS and social care staff I work with today are held captive by all kinds of things. By debt, by low wages, by drugs, alcohol, abusive relationships and loneliness, just to name a few. Part of the ministry I'm called to offer is to offer the hope of freedom. I'm not allowed to speak about Jesus directly, but if people ask, I can and do talk about what I believe. And some of the people I'm seeking to help are Christians, so we can then really talk about how faith impacts our daily lives. And even when I can't speak of Jesus directly, I can and do pray. I'm able to offer hope and point people to the path of freedom. Being bound by debt, low wages, drugs, alcohol, abusive relationships, loneliness, are real destroyers of health wholeness and fullness of life. We have the gift of the good news of Jesus, which is the key to helping release people from these things. Jesus came to bring recovery of sight to the blind. There are, of course, those physical restorations of sight that Jesus brought, and indeed that do still happen today. But there's also a need for Jesus to bring sight back to our spiritual, mental and social blindness. There are within all of us those things that we do not, cannot see, which prevent us from living life as God intended. If you're light, you live in the light and take light with you. It's very difficult to see the darkness if we carry light. 
by being and offering light on the wards and in my conversations with people, I hope that I'm able to dispel some of the darkness which threatens to engulf them. There have been times when I've wondered what I've been doing on a ward or in a conversation with someone. There have been times when I used to go and sit and a few people would talk to me, but I used to go home at the end of the day thinking, what have I really done today? And sometimes in my conversations with people, we get a bit stuck. It feels that circumstances aren't changing. It's very difficult for them to move on. It isn't always easy to tell what difference we're making. But then we get feedback like the, world always feel, the ward always feels a calmer place when the chaplain is here. That's great, isn't it? The ward always feels a calmer place when the chaplain is here. And somebody wrote some feedback as well. I felt lighter at the end of my sessions with the chaplain. We carry the light of Christ with us and we don't always have to worry about our words. Um, was it St. Francis who said, you know, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Our presence and our behaviour speak of Christ in ways that we can't begin to imagine. Jesus came to let the oppressed go free. To those crushed and broken by life, Jesus offers freedom. That's something of the literal translation of this phrase, to send away in freedom those who have been broken in pieces. I think that's a lovely translation, those who have been broken in pieces. That idea of those who have been broken in pieces by life, being sent away whole and free. It's an amazing offer, amazing gift that we have. The people I have the privilege of working with day by day are so often those who have been broken in pieces by life. Bereaved, terrible things happening to their families, being bullied at work, having false accusations made against them, relationships breaking down, illness, you name it, I've probably heard it. I thought at one time before I started doing this job that I'd heard everything. Turns out I haven't. There is yet more for me to hear. I am, I am never... Um, sure what's coming through the door or what's going to be on the other end of a phone um, and I've heard some things that I rather wish I hadn't these are things that are real destroyers of health wholeness and fullness of life these are people whose lives are broken in pieces and yet by, day by day week by week, year by year they are out there putting on their work faces and doing the most amazing things to bring health and wholeness to others as I pray for them before each meeting, I pray that whatever is crushed and broken in their lives may be made more whole and they may be more free because of our conversation. I'm sure we all know people whose lives are broken in pieces. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for their healing, their health and their wholeness. Jesus says he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, the year of jubilee. A reminder that every 50 years, slaves were released, property returned, and debt cancelled. This idea was picked up at the beginning of the 21st century. I know some of you will remember it, some of you are probably too young. Um, but it was a, an idea that was picked up as we had those millennium development goals, which have now been superseded by sustainable development goals. We didn't get there in the timescale. There is work still to be done. There's a spiritual dimension to this as well as a physical one. The idea that the Lord's favour is upon us. When Jesus came and since his coming every year, every day, every moment, God longs to celebrate with us and have us live as free and forgiven people made whole in him. 
The fact that God's kingdom comes in Jesus is what brings us health, wholeness and fullness of life. And then Jesus controversially says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. A statement of authority and intent of accomplishment already begun. Today, that was that today, 2,000 plus years ago, and today, the 1st of October 2023. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in our hearing. For God's kingdom is here and comes and begins again as we recognise its fulfilment in Christ and the imperative to keep working and praying towards its ultimate fulfilment. There are other implications for us too, not just as we hear Jesus speak these words, not just as we're brought good news in poverty, released from captivity, restored to sight, freed from oppression and become God's jubilee people. It's those words from Isaiah that lead us on. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. We've received that gift of the anointing of God's spirit. We have a responsibility with him to declare our purpose and our intention to the world. That the world might know that God the Father, through his Son and in the power of his Spirit, offers freedom, release, sight and new life to all who come to him. That we too might offer health, wholeness and fullness of life to our families, our church, our communities and to the world. Amen.